We're going to be picking back up in John chapter 7. And in John 7, I really want to, before we read the scripture, if you want to turn with me, we're going to be in 25 through 31. Uh, but kind of catch yourself what's going on in John uh, since it's been... Uh, three and two weeks ago now, what we saw in John 1 through 13 is that Christ's brothers were encouraging him to go uh, and gather a great following in Judea during the, the Feast of Booths. Um, if he was truly the Messiah, this is what they were telling him to do. But they didn't believe in him. They didn't believe he was the Messiah. They didn't believe in him as the Christ. They just they, they didn't believe in him at this point in their lives. Uh, and so then Jesus tells them that uh, it's not yet time for him to go up because uh, the world hated him. Not, not only the world as a whole, but also the religious leaders. They hated him, sought to kill him. And this was because he revealed their evil. He revealed their wickedness. And they hated him for that. Um, still, the world still hates Jesus because of that today. And then two weeks ago, we looked at John 7, 24 through, uh, 14 through 24, and what we saw is that Jesus then, at a later time, he does go up to the, the festival of booths, and he begins to teach in the temple. This was the same temple that he was flipping tables and, dr and driving people out with whips, and um, in doing so, the crowds begin to marvel in the knowledge of, uh, his knowledge of Scripture. And this led to this conversation about the desires of these Jewish religious leaders to kill him due to him working on the Sabbath and making himself equal with God. Um, and then Jesus compared his work of healing this invalid of 38 years to their work of circumcising on the Sabbath day. And then this morning we're going to pick up in 25 through 31. And then next week we're going to skip 32 and thir through 36. We're going to pick up in 37. Um, then we'll come back to 32 the week after that. But this week we're going to be in 25 through 31. And really what we're going to see is that Christ proclaims that um, the one the one who sent him is the true God and that he knows God, but the people of Jerusalem didn't know God. Um, and then this led that many rejected him even to the point in the desire to arrest him. And then others believed in him. And we're going to look at that. We're going to look at this fact that when Christ preached his word to these people, there were some that rejected and then there were some that believed. And we're going to look at that and what that means to us today, this morning. And so if you would, let's open up God's word and let's stand together and read it together. John chapter 7, verses 25 through 31. And it says this, Some of the people of Jerusalem therefore said, Is not the man whom they seek to kill? And here he is speaking openly and saying nothing to him. Can it be that the authorities really know that he is the Christ? But we know where this man comes from, and when the Christ appears, no one will know where he comes from. So Jesus proclaimed as he taught in the temple, You know me, and you know where I come from, but I have not come of my own accord. He who sent me is true, and him you do not know. I know him, for I come from him, and he sent me. So they were seeking to arrest him, but no one laid a hand on him, because his hour had not yet come. Yet many of the people believed in him, and they said, When the Christ appears, will he do more signs than this man has done? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this day. We thank you for the opportunity 
to gather with your people, your children, your sons and daughters, Father, to not only proclaim your word through the singing and praising of you, not only reading it in the beginning of the service, not only praying, but God, now in the reading and the proclamation and the explanation of your word, God, we thank you for the opportunity of being in your house and worshiping you in all of these aspects. Father, as we approach John chapter 7, verses 25 through 31, God, not only open our hearts and open our minds to you, God, but instill something inside of us. Give us a desire to accomplish and to go out and to to preach and to share the gospel with those around us. God, because you're doing a work in men and women that you're just sending us to and allowing us to be a mouthpiece and be your hands and your feet to them, Father. And God, as we come now, we also want to pray for those, a part of our church that can't be here uh, for sickness and, and for issues, Father, especially Pam this morning, God, that you would be with her. You know the heart, you know where the, the clots are, you know the issues with the lungs, you know the issues with the heart. And God, we just pray right now that you would take and you would redeem this situation, God. You would heal her if it be your will, God, that you would give her a comfort and give Jack a comfort in this difficult time. And God, that you would just be with them in this. But God, be with us now as we open up your word and understand it. We love you. We thank you. We glorify you in your son's holy name. Amen. Let's, this morning as we looked at John 25 through 31, it's hopefully going to be a shorter message, a shorter scripture, a lot less to explain. But uh, we're going to look at it verse by verse as we always do. And we're going to understand it a little bit and see what's going on. Uh, but as I said earlier, uh, when we look back in John chapter 7, 1 through 24, we see that Christ is at this Feast of Booths. Now, the Feast of Booths, just to kind of give you an understanding and just a, rec- a recollection of what's going on, is that it was this feast that the Jews had each year that they would go and uh, they would remember this time where the Israelites lived in these tents outside of the city uh, for seven days before they marched and took the land in which God was giving them, the promised land. And so they did this for seven days each year to remember what God had done for them and to celebrate, to praise God, to glorify Him. This was one of the only festivals and one of the only feasts that this is what they sole purpose was to praise God. The rest of them was for uh, redemption of their sins or forgiveness of their sins or remembering uh, different things. But this was the only one where they came together to celebrate what God had already done for them. So they're gathering together for this celebration. Jesus is in Jerusalem. Jesus is in the temple. He's teaching the Word of God. People were amazed at His knowledge because they knew that He was a carpenter, that He had not been taught. They were amazed of what He knew and how He explained it. And then we get into 25 here and we see this. It says, Some of the people of Jerusalem therefore said, Is this not the man whom they seek to kill? All right, so what we looked at in the previous weeks is that Jesus did not go up during the time that his brothers did because he knew that the, the religious leaders hated him and desired to kill him. And this goes back to when he healed this lame man of 38 years in front of the pool of Bestiva. Or Bestiva. Uh, he healed this man of 38 years on the Sabbath day. And in that he, he made himself equal with God because he is God. And, and so he healed this man. They sought to kill and destroy him because not only did he work on the Sabbath, but he put himself equal with God. And so these people, some of these people in the crowd, they understood that Jesus knew that these religious leaders desired to kill Jesus. Now, some of them didn't. If you look back in John 7, when we looked at it last week, some of the people thought that Jesus was crazy and had a demon in him 
because they, they said, who's trying to kill you? Who's trying to take you in and kill you right now? They didn't understand, but some of them did. Some of these individuals did, and these are the ones that we're looking at this morning. They knew that these religious leaders desired and sought to kill Jesus. And so when you get to 26, they're amazed. They say, this is the man that they are seeking to kill. This is the man that they desire to kill. And then in verse 26, it says, and here he is speaking openly. And they say nothing to him. Can it be that the authorities really know that this is the Christ? And so what's going on here is that they understand that they sought to kill Jesus and they were amazed that Jesus was, had this audacity to, to stand up in the open and to teach and to preach the Word of God to, uh, to these individuals openly. And it began to cause some question in these individuals' minds. It caused this question of, do the religious leaders really know that this is the Messiah, that this is the Christ? They seem to begin to understand what's going on here and to question if this was the Messiah, that these individuals was questioning this. They were, they were hoping, when you read this, you would hope their next response would be is that He is the Messiah. He is the Christ. He is the one that God uh, proclaimed and, and prophesied about that would redeem His people. But we see that that's not the case because when you move on to verse 27, it says, But we know where this man comes from. And when the Christ appears, no one will know where he comes from. Now, to understand this a little bit, there's a, there's a lack of understanding of Scripture on their part. Uh, because when you read throughout the Old Testament, we see not only does God tell us that He's going to send a Messiah, that He's going to send a Christ, we see it all throughout the Old Testament. Uh, we even see the picture of it in Genesis chapter 3, that there's going to be one that's going to come and stomp the head of the serpent. We see that He's promising this Messiah throughout all of history in the specific places where it actually tells us where the Messiah was coming from. Like Micah 5, 2. It says, But you, O Bethlehem, Ephraim, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me, one who is to be the ruler of Israel, whose coming forth is from the old and the ancient days. So they knew that Jesus was going to come from Bethlehem. So this isn't what they're getting at. They're not, they're not getting at that, they, that because Jesus is from Bethlehem, they know that He's not the Messiah. What they're getting at here is that they had this understanding and this belief that when the Messiah came, when the Christ came, he would just rise up unknowingly and he would take command, he would take charge, and he would save the Israelite people from their oppressors. It was this idea that they, it's almost when you look back into the Old Testament and you see this picture of the Israelites wanting a king and they see Saul. They see this tall, strong, built man that was uh, handsome, they says in Scripture, that he was this built man and they wanted to follow after this man and they, they trusted in this man because his physical attributes. This is what they were looking at for a Messiah and for a Christ. They were looking for this man that was going to ride in on his horse and, 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 and build up this army and take charge and destroy Rome and, and, and lift up God's kingdom and earthly kingdom once again as it once was and establish it then. This is what they were looking for. They didn't understand that this Messiah wasn't the one that they thought was coming. See, they thought that the Messiah would just be this physical and this earthly uh, provider, but ultimately, as we looked at this morning in Ephesians chapter 2, uh, chapter 3, is that Christ was one that not only provides physically, but one that ultimately came to provide spiritually, to provide salvation. And they didn't understand this. They didn't understand in the Scripture that this was what the Messiah was to do. And we see this throughout the entire book of John is why they didn't understand. But then Jesus responds to them. 
Now, other times in Scripture we see where Jesus just supernaturally knows things. Like the man was an invalid for 38 years, or, or like um, the woman at the well, he knew that she had, um, she had a, uh, four husbands and was sleeping with one now. And she, he, we know that Jesus was this supernatural God. He, he is God Himself. He's omnipotent. He knows all things. Uh, but really what we're going to see in His response is something slightly different this morning. Because this is what's going on in the crowd. They were muttering about it. They were gossiping about it. They were saying, is this not the man we know? And he responds in verse 28 and says, So Jesus proclaimed as he taught in the temple. So Jesus is teaching in the temple. And he says, you know me and you know where I come from. But I have not come on my own authority, uh, my own accord. He who sent me is true and him you do not know. I know him. I come from him and he sent me. So Jesus is saying, yes, you know who I am. You know where I come from. You, you may even know my mama, my daddy, my brothers, my sisters. You know who I am, but you really don't know me. You don't know who I am. You don't know where I have come from. And so what Jesus is saying in these two verses is, you know, you know a lot, but you don't know everything. You know, you know a lot, but you don't know nothing at all. He's saying, yes, you may know where I come from. Yes, you may know where I I originated from on this earth, but you don't know me because I come from the Father. I have come from God. That you may think you know me, but you really don't. You really don't know who I am. And then when we also we read this, we see in verse, um, verse 28, it says, You know where I come from, but I have not come on my own accord. He who has sent me is true, and him you do not know. See, the reality is that the, the, the Jews and the Israelites, what they were doing is they were looking to the law of God to justify them. They were looking to the law of God to bring them salvation, to bring them redemption. Uh, we see this idea in Romans 2, 17 through 19, where it says, But if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God and know His will and approve what is excellent, but you, or, uh, you are instructed from the law, and if you are sure that you yourself are a God to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, that these Jews... They thought that they were obeying God by, by keeping the law and by understanding the law. And, and in all reality, they were to some extent, but they wasn't because now the Messiah was on the scene. Messiah was in front of them teaching and proclaiming the Word of God to them, and they did not understand. They didn't understand the Old Testament as they were supposed to because they were looking for this other Messiah, this other Christ that was going to save them in a physical sense, but not a spiritual they, un they misunderstood. We even see in John 5 where Jesus addresses this completely and up front. John 5, 39, and then I'm going to look at 46 through 47. It says, you search the Scriptures because you think of them, you have eternal life. And it is they that witness about me. And then 46 and 47, for, uh, for if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? Jesus is saying, look, this law, this scripture that you've based your life on, that you sought after, that you're seeking to save you, it's speaking of me, it's pointing to me, it's pointing to the Savior of the world, the Messiah, Christ himself. And so Jesus is presenting this to them because what he said to them was this hard truth that they did not want to receive. And it was the little words uh, in 29, uh, 28. And he says, and him you do not know. They didn't know God truly because they were seeking to save themselves through the law rather than trusting in the Messiah that was standing right before them. They did not know God. And we see this as evident in 30 and 31. 
where it says, So they were seeking to arrest him, but no one laid a hand on him because of his hour had not yet come. Yet many of the people believed in him. They said, When the Christ appears, will he do more signs than this man has done? So what happened was that Christ is proclaiming the truth to these people. He's proclaiming His, his gospel, His truth to them. And what's happening is there's two responses. There's the ones that did not believe and there's the ones that did believe. And the ones that did not believe, they didn't believe so strongly that they desired to arrest Him. This is different than the arrest that we're going to see uh, in the later verses. This was the arrest of the people. They, the people that he was teaching and presenting this to desired to arrest him. Desired, they rejected him so strongly and turned away from him so much that they desired to arrest him. This is because he presented the truth to them and they did not want to hear it. They did not want to understand it. And then we also see as the second side of that coin though, was that there were some that believed. There were some that trusted in Christ. They said, when the Christ appears, will He do more signs than this man has done? And it's a question mark there. What they're saying is that this man is a mighty man. He he has to be God. He has to be Christ. He has to be the Messiah. And so they're trusting in Him. They're putting their faith in Him for their redemption, for their salvation. And so really what I want to see in this is two things is first and foremost, those that did not believe in Christ were, did not believe according to Jesus in John 6, 43 through 47, is that because the Father had not drawn them, that the Father had not poured them to himself through the work of the Holy Spirit. And those that believed in him did believe in him because of God's work in their hearts. We see that in John 43 through 47. It says, Jesus answered, Do not grumble among yourself, for one can, can, one, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and he will raise him up in the last day. That one is saved when the Father draws them. This is why we as individuals, when we share the gospel with somebody, or when we pour over our children in prayer, we pray that God would what? God would save them. God would soften their hearts. That God would redeem them. God is doing the work in the hearts of man to save them. And so we proclaim the gospel to them. Now, what I want to get from all of this is first and foremost is that Christ is the true Son of God, God Himself in the flesh. This is the ultimate thing that we should see in all of John's letters that Jesus is the true Son of God, which is God Himself. As we saw in the last song we sing, I believe in God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, that they are perfect in one. Now, the second thing I really want us to see is that when Jesus preached the gospel, when Jesus presented His Word to this crowd, and this may not sound super profound because it's very simple, is that some believed and some didn't. That this is God Himself in flesh teaching and preaching the Word of God to people, and some believed in Him and some did not. And if God Himself did this, and some even rejected Him then, This is because they're not called by the Father, but they rejected them then. Then what an encouragement is that to us that when we present the gospel, that when we preach the word of God, that when we tell people about what Christ has done for them on the cross and forgiven them of their sins, if they were to repent and turn away and turn to Jesus, what encouragement is this to us that even even when Jesus opened his mouth and proclaimed his truth, some didn't believe. We see this idea, this thought in 1 Corinthians 3, 5 through 7. 1 Corinthians 3, 5 through 7, put in an ultimate context of what's going on, is the Corinthian church was just a horrible church. Uh, Just lay it out there, plain and simple. They were this horrible church. They had a bunch of issues, a bunch of problems. And one of it is that they found pride in who baptized them. 
Some thought that it was, uh, uh, well, not baptized them, but led them to Christ. Some, they, they, they were claiming to be a follower of Paul and some a follower of Apollos, and they found great joy and great honor in whom they uh, was led to Christ by, essentially. In, three, in verses three and 5 through 6, we see this in Paul is writing. It says, what then is Apollos? What is Paul? Service through whom you believed is the Lord assigned to each of you. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave growth. So neither does he who plant nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. Paul is writing this to the Corinthians church, and he says, look, what is Apollos? What is Paul? Who am I? I am nothing. I am just a servant through whom you believed. I am just a mouthpiece of the Word of God so that you would believe and trust in Him when He called you to Himself. I am nothing at all. Paul is... this. When you read the, Old, the New Testament, you see Paul writes 13 letters. Paul is writing to this church and he says, I'm nothing at all. I am no significant value. I have no, uh, I have no significant value at all to your salvation. That the only reason you're saved is that the Lord assigned to each of you. And then he says, I uh, planted, Apollos watered, and God gave the growth. What he's saying here is that what, I, what we simply did was I planted the seed, Apollos watered the seed, and God gave the growth. Paul's saying, look, we did not do anything. You should not find any joy, any pleasure, any honor in who led you to Christ because God is the one who saved you. And then he goes on. He says, so neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. The reality to it is this, and as simple as that, when we share the gospel with somebody, when we tell someone about what Christ has done, all we are doing is planting a seed or watering a seed. We don't save a single soul. We don't do anything in of ourselves to save that individual. We don't grab them by their legs and pull them into heaven and assume that they're saved. We don't do anything to save that individual. All we are are the mouthpiece of God. Even so much so that in, in God's sovereignty, what He did was that even give us this example of Christ proclaiming His truth to people, that God Himself proclaiming His truth to some people. Not all of them believed. And if there was going to be one individual, if there was going to be one person that was ever born on this earth that could just preach a sermon and everyone that heard it comes to follow Jesus, it would have been Jesus Himself. So we have great joy in knowing that all we do is present the gospel. All we do is present the Word of God to the people. Now, this is going to kind of be a little different part of the sermon than usual, but it's something that I felt the need to do. And maybe this morning as we're looking at all this, what we see and what we're called to do is to share the gospel. And you may hear me say that a thousand times. And I may say it a thousand more times because this is what we are called to do as believers is to share the gospel with people that are lost and dying and going to hell because they have no other hope outside of the blood of Jesus Christ to redeem and to save their soul. And if we have been redeemed by Christ, we have, we have surrendered our life to Him said so we trust in your redemption. And when we say we trust in His redemption, we say we are His disciples and we are following after Him and and Jesus says to his disciples, go and make disciples. So this is our job. This is our responsibility. This is what we are called to do. We are called to share the gospel and make disciples. There's no ifs, ands, and buts about it. This is our responsibility. Everyone who comes to Christ, and if you don't think it's your responsibility, I would question if you've come to Christ in salvation because this is a clear proclamation and, and just calling by God to every individual. 
If you're seeking the ultimate will of God in your life, begin by proclaiming the gospel to those in your life. That is all of our callings. That is what we are all called to do. Plain and simple. And this morning, you may be confused of how to do that. This morning, you may not know how to share the gospel. Maybe you're here and you just don't remember how. Maybe you're here and you have some ifs and buts that you have some questions about it. And I'm going to show you how in less than five minutes. Not that you shouldn't sometimes take more than that. But I'm going to show you how quickly. It is four little words, and I want you to remember these words with me. I'm going to say them a bunch. And this is so important that even after we finish our Wednesday night studies that we're going through now, we're going to go through this in our individual classes for about five weeks. That this is what we are called to do is share the gospel, and it's four simple words that you can remember to be able to share the gospel with somebody. Y'all ready for this? It's God, man, Christ, response. God, man, Christ, response. God, man, Christ, response. If you can remember those four things and remember just a little bit of information that goes with them, you can share the gospel with somebody. You can tell someone about the redemption that is found in Christ. And it's simple. It's this right here. is that God is a perfect and holy creator of the world that is just. That God is perfect, therefore He is sin-free. God is holy, therefore He is above all creatures. He is the creator of the world, therefore He owns each and every one of us. He has created each and every one of us. And because He is this perfect and holy creator, we also see that He is a just God. And because God is a just God, then He has to judge those who sin. He has to judge what is unrighteous, what is not holy, what is not perfect. And that is the issue for mankind because all of mankind is sinful and fallen and depraved and fallen short of the glory of God and rejected Him. So God is perfect. God is holy. God is a just God. Man is sinful, fallen, depraved, and therefore they are deserving of God's judgment. And it would be horrible if it stopped there. And for a sad fact is that some, for some people in this world, it will stop there. They will only see the wrath of God because they deserve the justice of God placed on their life. But thank God. Thank God that, that God Himself stepped out of heaven, was born of the virgin, wrapped in flesh, lived the perfect life that we could not live, was nailed to a cross and died the death that we deserve to die by taking the wrath of God upon His shoulders being taken his last breath, being laid in a tomb, laid there for three days, rose again, and in rising again, he conquered our sins, he conquered death, he conquered the grave, and he has brought redemption to those who would believe and trust in him. And the people have the chance to respond to the gospel by repenting of their sins and turning and trusting in Jesus. This is the gospel. God is a perfect and holy God that is just, and therefore He will bring sinful man into judgment. But for those that will trust and repent in Jesus Christ, in the work that He has accomplished for those sinners upon the cross, they can be saved. That is the gospel. That is, or what, and that is what we are to proclaim to our friends and family. That is what we are to proclaim to the random individual that you will never see again. And there's a calling on your life to share the gospel with them. That's what you are to proclaim to your co-worker that you're afraid to talk to about Jesus. That's what you are to proclaim to your children day in and day out. That is what you're supposed to proclaim to your grandchildren day in and day out. 
This is the gospel of Jesus Christ, and this is what we're called to proclaim. It's plain, it's simple. And the beauty and the joy that we find in it all is that we don't save anyone. But God saves sinners. All he asks us to do is be his mouthpiece and to proclaim his good news to a lost and dying world. This is our calling. This is our responsibility. This is what we are called to do. And what we see in John 7, 25 through 31 is that Jesus himself and his sovereignty preaches the word of God to people. And some of them believe and some of them don't. And we can expect the same thing in our lives because the only ones that come to Christ in salvation is the one who God draws to himself through the work of the Holy Spirit. And all we are doing is presenting the word of God to them. So we find joy in that. We find peace in that. But one thing that I want you to know is though we find joy and though we find peace in the fact that that it's not our job to save anyone, but what we also should find is that when we present the gospel to somebody and they reject the gospel, that we mourn for their soul and we long for their salvation so much so that we pour over in prayer that God would redeem and save them. This isn't an apathy. This isn't cause apathy or cause any kind of lack of work on our lives. This is exactly the opposite, that we do the will of God so that individuals can be saved by God. And when they're not, we pray and cry out to God for their salvation because this is the example we see through Scripture. Even so that Christ in the moment of His death looks out upon a crowd and says, God, forgive them for they do not understand what they do. We should have so much concern and love for those that are lost that we are praying and pouring out on their behalf. This morning, we're also going to end differently as well. Sarah's doing nursery. We're not going to end with a final song this morning. Maybe you're here and maybe you've never responded to the gospel and trusted in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. I will be around. My prayer would be that you would respond accordingly. I'm here to talk. I'm here to encourage. I'm here to pray with you. If you, wanna, if you want someone praying with you to encourage you in these ways and to help you uh, walk through these four things, I, I'm here. I'm always here to talk about these things. That would be a great joy for you to come to me and say, I don't know how to share the gospel. Will you help me? I would find great joy with it. We'd go out together. We would do it together. We would find a way to do it. But we would work together to accomplish that. But this morning as we come to a close, this of this service, I'm going to read one more scripture with you, and then we're going to pray together and we'll be dismissed. I want to read Romans 1, 16 through 17 with you. And this is my prayer for each and every one of us this morning. Paul is writing, says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, to also the Greek. For in righteousness of God is revealed for Uh, from faith for faith as it is written the righteous shall live by faith what we see is what's going on here is paul begins by saying for i'm not ashamed of the gospel i'm going to get back to that he says i'm not ashamed why for this is the power of god for salvation to everyone who believes the gospel is the power of god being implemented in the hearts of man so that they can believe and trust in jesus the gospel, the truth of the gospel is the only way that one can come to Christ in salvation and have redemption from their sin. And so this morning, if you're here and you're with me and you've been saved and you're trusting in Jesus, my prayer and my hope and my encouragement is that you could say the same words as Paul when he says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. 
This doesn't say I am not ashamed of Jesus. This doesn't say I'm not ashamed of God. This says I am not ashamed of the gospel. And what he's getting at here is that I am not ashamed to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ to the world around us. And we see Paul lived this out to the point that he even laid his head down on, a, 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 on this wooden piece and his head was cut off for it. Paul was not ashamed of the gospel, even so that he gave his own life up for it. Even so that in one moment in his prayer that he prayed and he proclaimed to the letter that he, the church he was writing to, that if I could give up my own salvation for you, for you to be saved, I would. Paul was not ashamed of the gospel, and that is evident in all of his letters. And my prayer for each and every one of us is that we are not ashamed of the gospel, so therefore we will proclaim it to the lost and dying world that needs to repent of their sins and turn to Jesus.